Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. If you have your Bibles, your smartphones, or in my case, your dumb phones, I'm not smart enough to run a smartphone. And so uh, AT&T issued me a dumb phone, which still confuses me. So anyway, whatever you use to follow the Word of God, turn to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to begin reading at verse number 3, and uh, I promise I'll be finished reading before 1 o'clock. You say that now, but you wait. Genesis chapter 22, beginning at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. Abraham said, Here I am, my son. Then Isaac said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering. Let's look at verse 5. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Now, I know, I realize, I understand that we're all educated in here. We're all sophisticated, and we haven't said yonder since since we were running around barefoot at our great-grandma's house. But bear with me. The lad and I, we're going yonder to worship. You know, worship um, has almost become a battleground in the church world today. On one hand, you have the young millennials who don't like the music style of their parents and and their grandparents. Then on the other hand, you have the parents and the grandparents who say about modern worship, that's not music, that's torture. And so today, I'm not going to talk about the style of music, I'm not going to talk about style of worship, and I'm certainly not going to try to change anyone's mind. Because the fact is, I am old enough to know that I can't change your mind. That would be like me trying to talk Starla out of her high heels. Not going to happen. But what I do hope to do today is enlighten all of our hearts about what worship really is. Now, I've always loved the church. I've been in church nine months longer than I've been alive. I have always had respect for the house of God. Now, I think there are some things that could be improved about the house of God. For the most part, the inhabitants... But, okay, come on now. Is it going to be a day like today? Is it going to be a day like this today? I mean, if it is, we got a long road to go because I've got these all day long. 
You've got to stay with me. You've got to stay focused because they're going to come quick. What, you missed it? What were you doing? Benny got it, and he's asleep at the wheel. There are things that could be changed about the church today, particularly the inhabitants. Are we up to speed now? On the same page, right? My, my, my. Holy Spirit, come quick. We have fun in church, don't we? That's the way church ought to be. It ought to be a joy. It ought to be a joy. Now, in church, we use terms and practices that we just assume everyone knows what they mean. For example, anointing. We say, he's anointed. But what does that really mean other than he shouts loud? That was funnier than the laugh you gave me. Or maybe you're thinking, was that a joke? I didn't know that was a joke. That's what anointing is, someone shouting loud. But many people don't necessarily know what the anointing means. Or we say this is a worship service. And the sad fact is that all over this country, millions of people have shown up today at a church to enjoy a worship service, but most of which will not be worshiping at all. For you see, worship is not just putting on your Sunday go-to-meeting clothes and letting those on the platform entertain you in a religious connotation. The fact is worship is not external at all. Worship is a matter of the heart. Worship is the deepest part of you reaching out to the deepest part of our creator, almighty God. And what is challenging about worship is that no other area in our life asks us for what worship demands of us. You see, because true worship, true worship requires that you engage your spirit. When was the last time you used your spirit? I mean, think about it. When you go and apply for a job and you get hired, nobody hires you for your spirit. If you don't believe that, stay home next week and call in and say, well, I was there in spirit. (laughs) See how that goes over for you. Our college graduates, wherever they went, they're probably out in the hall eating donuts and drinking coffee. They say, school's over, I'm partying. But anyway, wherever they are, college graduates, you didn't graduate because you were spiritual. You graduated because you used your noggin. But sadly, most people don't use their spirit at all. Many of you come to church week after week, of which I'm very thankful, but you drag your body in here like a corpse. You set it down on a pew for an hour and a half, disengage your mind, never use your spirit, and then when you've paid your religious dues, you get up and you walk out of here to get on with the important things of your Sunday. Put your steel-toed boots on. It's going to get worse. I don't know. Maybe not. That may have been the worst one. We'll see. The question is, have you ever really had a worship experience? 
I mean, I don't mean going to an event that's labeled worship. But have you ever had in your spirit a real thirst-quenching, mind-renewing, heart-fixing, overshadowing power of the Holy Ghost that took you out of your flesh, outside of your mind, and into the realm of God's spirit where your heart and your life was changed? Where when it was over, you had to go home and crash into your Barca lounger and go, You know, many times we holy, ro- holy rollers, we praise God enthusiastically, almost like spiritual Zumba. And I like it. Don't get me wrong. I love it. I love exuberant worship. I'll tell you what, the closest I ever am to God is when Starla is up here dancing in the Holy Ghost on those high heels. I'm saying, God, don't let her fall. God, don't let her fall. Oh, God, don't let her fall. God, don't let her fall. Don't let her fall. Oh, God, don't let her fall. I get close to my creator then. But you see, the moving of the body does not necessarily constitute the turning of the heart. Hello? Joel 2.13, rend your heart, not your garments. God says, I want to see your heart twisted, not your flesh. He says, I'm not concerned about your external. I'm concerned about your internal. I'm concerned about you having a vibrant experience with my Holy Spirit. Now, worship is important for us. But I want you to know something. Worship is also important to God. Over in John chapter 4, in verse 4, the Bible says, Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Why? Because there was a particular woman who could potentially be a worshiper. Now, most of you are familiar with this story, the woman at the well. Now, she isn't chosen because she's so spiritual or holy. No. In fact, she's opposite of all that. This is a very dysfunctional, confused woman. Not to be confused with my sister. Don't make make that correlation. But yet Jesus makes a special trip to see this woman who has been married five times and is currently shacking up with Tommy Boy. Not sure, but I think her name may have been Jaja. If you're under 30, you won't know what that means. Maybe if you're under 40, you may not know what that means. Well, Jesus starts the conversation not with what she needs, but Jesus starts the conversation with what he needs. And in verse 7, Jesus says, hey, give me a drink. She says, well, why are you asking me? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But then Jesus says in verse 10, woman, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water. And he says, in fact, if you drink the water I have, you are never going to be thirsty again. But you see, Jesus is using a natural substance metaphorically to describe a spiritual principle, which is water is a necessity of life. If I don't have water, even above food, I am going to die. And so the principle is water is to the body what worship is to the spirit. It is necessary, necessary for survival. Let me pose a question this morning. Though you are well fed 
on the Word of God. Could it be possible that you are spiritually dehydrated? Could it be that you have not had enough water of worship in your life to quench the thirsting of your soul? Is it possible that though you have matured in years and you've got all kinds of books and study material, is it possible that you have learned a lot about God, but you have not learned God? Put it in vernacular that ladies will understand. You've been to the mall, but you have not been to the shoe department of Dillard's. Of which, by the way, my wife Starla was inducted into their wall of fame. That's not something I'm proud of. Could it be possible that you come to church but still be thirsty? So somewhere along the way, the conversation transitions from water to worship. The woman, woman at the well says, my people worship in the mountain. Ah, so this is a church woman. She knows what church she goes to, and she knows what they believe. Now she's had five husband, husbands and is currently in a situation, but she's a church woman. You don't know whether to say amen or oh me there. And then this woman hits Jesus square in the face with their church doctrine. We worship in the mountain. Well, Jesus says in verse 22, you worship in the mountain what you do not know. We worship in Jerusalem for salvation is of the Jews. Jesus says, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. The Father is seeking those who will worship in spirit and truth to worship him. In other words, Jesus is saying if you stay in the mountain and we stay in Jerusalem, we're both going to miss it because the power of God is not in the mountain, nor is it in Jerusalem. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So again, the question, is it possible for people to go to church every Sunday but be completely dehydrated because they've never had a real spirit experience with God? Could it be possible that you are worshiping God, not with your spirit, but with the same way you approach everything else in your life, through your body or through your mind, and today your soul is thirsty. Now, please, I don't want to insult anyone's faith, but is it possible is it possible that you've not had a real worship experience even though you may have been in church for years? If that has the remotest possibility in your life, is it possible that you are missing something that could truly enrich your 
life. Now, one indication of this woman not having a worship experience, even though she has a church experience, is the fact that she's had a series of failed relationships. So, is it possible that the reason she's been married five times and has this thing with Tommy is because she's been trying to get something from men that she can only get from God? Make sense? Well, let's fast forward to 2017. Is it possible that some of your frustrations with your job, with your family, with your money, with your health, with your this or with your that, is it possible that you are trying to get something out of your flesh that only can come out of your spirit? I think it's at least food for thought. So do we know what real worship is? Let's look back at Genesis chapter 22, our text, where we see Abraham, and we see Isaac, ah, the golden child, the long-awaited son that God promised Abraham when he was a very old man, but now God wants to take the boy back. Can you believe it? Now, before you get too critical of God, I want you to understand that God wants our best, and he is not going to bless anything that we worship more than him. Now, I think most of you probably know the word worship comes from two words, worth and ship. When you worship, you are saying what it is worth. When you give to God something that is worth something to you, you are saying that he is worth more than that which you gave to him. Hey, let's cut to the chase. I mean, that's what the big deal with money is, right? That's what the big deal is with our money. I mean, we love our money, and we don't want to share it. Until our child is sick. Or the crisis comes. Money was really worth something until... As you're getting older, you suddenly realize that it doesn't make any difference whether you have that bigger house or not. Man, I'm getting off of that. This is like a funeral in here. <laughs> what was I thinking when I went down that road? Man, that'll kill your joy. I got to get away from that. So Abraham says to his servant, the lad and I are going yonder to worship. Now, worship literally means to fall down before or bow down in front of. And before you get in your super spiritual mind that everyone who stands up is not worshiping, understand that it's not just a matter of lying flat on the floor because we could all lay flat on the floor and still not be worshiping. Most of us would just be taking a nap. To prostrate yourself in worship is a physical expression of an inner attitude towards God where you see yourself humble in comparison to him and you let him be exalted in your life. I want you to know, friend, there is something about seeing the magnitude of God and the worth of God that will make you bow down on the floor. 
And so the lad and I are going yonder to prostrate ourselves in the presence of God. And so Abraham, he saddles his donkeys and he leaves his home. Now he's leaving the familiar because you cannot begin to have a worship experience until you leave what you are at ease with. So to leave the ordinary, to leave the mundane, to leave that which is your comfort zone is the beginning of worship. Can I be frank? I don't care. I'm going to be anyway. No, I'm kidding. But you see, some of you have never had a worship experience because you have to stay within your comfort zone. You have to stay with people who look like you, who act like you, who think like you, who even smell like you. And you're never willing to risk the ramifications of having a real God experience because you are seeking the approval of those around you instead of seeking the approval of Almighty God. What will they think if my makeup runs? Hey, if my makeup runs, we got a problem. So Abraham leaves what was familiar to him and begins this journey somewhere, not over the rainbow, but somewhere yonder. And he can't even describe the place where he's going to because there's something about worship that's indescribable. It's not a particular song that catches you away to the heavens. It's not the way that you raise your hands or bow your head. It's something in your spirit And when you get there, oh, yeah, you know it. You know it. You know, have you ever gone shopping and asked the sales clerk, hey, I mean, the sales clerk comes up and says, hey, what are you looking for? You go, well, I really don't know, but I'll know it when I see it. Happens to Starla almost every day. But you see, that's the way worship is. There's a certain thing that you're looking for, a certain realm in the spirit, something that you're hungry for, something that you're thirsty for, and you can't explain it. But you know it when you see it. It'll show up in the middle of a song. It'll show up in the middle of your devotion. It'll show up as you gaze on the miracle of a brand new baby. It'll show up when you're driving down I-35 and all of a sudden you get a sensing that something is happening in the car and you can't explain what it is, but you just know, you just know, you just know, this is the place. Worship is a journey. It's a process. It's going to a place. Verse 4 says, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. You know, almost everything in Genesis chapter 22 is symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Father and the Son going to the mountain symbolizes Calvary. The Father offering up the Son in a burnt offering. Showing a type of crucifixion. The lad nigh shall return again. 
a type of the resurrection. And all of it becomes very symbolic and becomes a foreshadow of Christ and how he died and was buried. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. So three days into this journey, Abraham looks up and sees the place. Now, notice with me, wherever he was, he was not quite where he's going. But he's not where he used to be. He started here. He's right here now, and he's going here. And so he's not where he used to be. Well, you see, most church people stop at this point. What do you mean? Well, what I mean is we get close enough to worship to see it, but not to do it. In fact, we'll get in our car and we'll drive a long way to watch other people do it. And the better they do it, the more people come. With great singers and great preaching, people will come and sit for hours and watch you worship. And then they'll go to Denny's afterwards and argue over who put on the best show. Excuse me, this is not about the show. Why would you come and watch worship? Why wouldn't you come to worship? The lad and I go yonder to worship, not to watch. It's like, it's like you are just so thirsty like I am right now, and, and you watch a glass of water. I want to drink so bad. I'm dehydrated, but I'm just going to watch. Oh, I've never seen water look so good in all my life. It's full of ice. It's condensating on the side. The condensation is rolling down the glass, making a puddle around it. I bet that water is so cold that if I drank it, that water would cool my parched lips and be cold all the way down to my belly. I wish I could take a drink of it. Oh, no, no, I'm just going to look at it. I'm just going to look at it. But what I am going to do is I am going to take a selfie so I can put it on my screensaver. Get out of town. <clears throat> that is ridiculous. But is it any more ridiculous to get dressed up on your only day off and drive down here so that you can sit and watch a glass of water? Why would you watch it when you can drink it? Why would you watch other people when you can do it? Why be a spectator when you can be a participator? If being a spectator is this good, can you imagine what it would be like if you actually picked up the glass of water and put it to your dry lips and... Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. I'm going to do it again. The lad and I go yonder to pray, but we will not come back until we worship. I refuse to go after something and not get it. 
to name something and not have it, to profess something and not possess it. If I'm going to go after it, I will not come back again until I have done the thing that I set out to do. I want to worship God. Not because I'm perfect, not because I'm holy, not because I've got it all together. No, no, no. But maybe, 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 maybe if I worship God, I won't be worshiping so many other things in my life. Do you get it? Maybe I wouldn't need so many other peripheral relationships. Maybe if I could get it from God, I wouldn't be running after this and that and the other thing. Wow. I'm not going very far out on a limb here, but I'm going to say that some of you need to worship. Jesus waited for the woman at the well because she needed to worship. Why? Because she was a desperate woman. And desperate people do desperate things, and then they get to the point where they just don't care. Some of you will not receive this message today because you have never been in a situation where you're willing to mess up your makeup or wrinkle your shirt or shake your hair down. But worship is a journey, and you will never, do you hear me? You will never, did you hear me? You will never, let me spell it, N-E-V-E-R. You will never, never, never go deep into the things of God until you go yonder to worship. You may know all about God, but you will never know God in his intimacy until you go to worship. Worship is a key. Yonder, though, is a conscious, purposeful decision. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that everyone in here is going to become a worshiper. Now, I hope you all are praisers. Everyone can praise the Lord, but that's not worship. When you praise God, you praise God for the things he's done. Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so we praise God for the things he's done. Lord, you brought me out. Lord, you fed me when I was hungry. Lord, you protected me from my enemy, which is all wonderful, and we should do that. But worship says, Lord, God, you know better than anyone. I've lost my job. All my stuff is gone. I don't have two nickels to rub together. I haven't received my healing. I'm in so much pain. But God, I still worship you and your majesty. God, I praise you for being holy. Lord, I worship you for being with me. God, you are everything to me for no other reason. Lord, I worship you for who you are. That is worship. Anyone can praise. But the Father seeks a worshiper. I may have not been joking when I said one o'clock. You know, I don't know about you. A little bit of true confession here. Um, You know, I have a hard time keeping up with my stuff. I mean, I would lose my mind if I hadn't already lost it. No joke. 
But Starla, my wife, she has some sort of computer in her head, and she knows where all my stuff is. I could ask her right now where my blue tinted sunglasses are that I wore last summer that I can't find, and she, had said, she would say something like, they're out in the garage sitting on top of the lawnmower where you left them. I mean, I mean, I don't know what God put in her, but she makes me feel like I have a disease. <laughs> and so I am seeking stuff all the time because I am as lost as a goose. But I want you to know, Almighty God, my creator, is omniscient. He knows everything. But for God to say that he's looking for anything blows my mind. And in all the things that he knows... Still looking, searching, seeking, worshipers. Of all the masses of people who came to a worship service around this planet today, the Father seeks such. So what does that mean? That means everybody ain't doing it. I wonder what God would do if in the midst of all of the multitudes of people, if he would find on the eighth row in the right-hand corner, if he could find one worshiper, I wonder what he would do in their life. Now, I'm not trying to be sneaky. I'm trying to be as blatant as I can. I'm trying my dead-level best to make you thirsty. I'm trying to make you jealous of something more than just sitting in a pew being entertained. I mean, work with me here. What would happen in your life with your problems, with your needs, with your finances, with your family, with your marriage, with your weaknesses, if you would worship? Aren't you, aren't you at least bit, the least bit curious about what would happen if you could get in touch with your spiritual self and quit living your life by your flesh and what you think and how intellectual you are? I would venture to say my sister is the smartest person in this room, IQ-wise. She's brilliant. But the girl still needs to worship. The girl still needs to get in her spirit in tune with God. I'm not saying she doesn't, but I'm just saying even the geniuses do. Even Michael Jordan does. We all need to use our spirit to commune with God. I mean, what would happen if you had just come to God through your spirit, the deepest part of you reaching out in intimacy to the deepest part of him? I mean, it wouldn't be safe for a tumor to be in this room. Depression and fear would have to leave out of the front door. Can you imagine what would happen if we would all together in corporate unison go yonder and worship? Listen, friend, if you are on a quest to find God, worship is the journey that will lead you to his very throne room. Does anybody want to go? Take the trip? Take the journey? Oh, my goodness. Well, in verse 6, 
There are three things that Abraham took with him to worship. I got to hit these fast. First, he took wood. He took wood. Now, the significance of wood throughout the Bible is that it represents humanity. It represents mankind. And so if you're going to worship, you must bring wood. Now, it's not any kind of wood. It's not green wood. It has to be dead wood. It has to be from trees that have been cut off from the source. So if you're going to worship God, there must be something in your life that's dead that God has cut off from you. It's that fleshly thing that God delivered you from, that thing that has become your testimony. You cannot worship without a testimony. I want you to know, friend, you can have my car, you can have my socks, but you cannot have my testimony because what I've been through has brought me to where I am today. And if you're here today and you're not living for the Lord, you're living in a backslidden state, friend, you are foolish to walk away from God as good as God has been to you. You need to take a second and remember everything that God has brought you through. So you have to have some dry wood so you can worship. Second thing Abraham had was fire. Now, when you start talking about heaven's fire, we all know you're talking about the Holy Ghost. And we also know that fire generates heat and light. And when you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, it is warm enough to stop the cold winds of this world from chilling the bones of your soul. When people can't understand how you're able to have climate control, even though you're going through trials and tribulations, it's because the Holy Ghost keeps you warm on the inside and causes you to have peace when other people are losing their mind. Not only does fire produce warmth, but it also produces light. And spiritually, it produces light when the enemy is trying to give you a spiritual blackout. The Holy Spirit will give you revelation in the midst of your midnight. And when you have revelation on the inside, it's because the Holy Spirit has said, let there be light in Sally's spirit. Worship in the Spirit provides revelation, illumination. And that's when all of a sudden, instead of saying, I should have had a V8, we say, now I know what to do. Thank you, Lord. Another way the Holy Spirit is like fire is whenever fire burns something, it changes, it changes its molecular structure. It rearranges its whole composition. Well, I want you to know whenever the Holy Spirit touches anything, it will change it as well. It doesn't matter if you're an addict. It doesn't matter if you're a thief. It doesn't matter if you're a murderer. It doesn't matter if you're the church gossip. If the Holy Spirit will fall on you, it will change you, and you will never be the same. Now, notice in verse 6, and Abraham took the fire in his hand. Abraham took the fire. He took the fire. He took fire. Why? To light fire. Are you with me? When you get ready to come into God's presence, friend, you have to come already with some fire. You cannot come in here cold and dead and hateful and expect to enter into worship. You have to stoke the fire while you're getting ready in the morning. If you're watching Fox News or CNN while you're putting your socks on, you're not going to be in the mood to worship. You're going to be in the mood to slap somebody. 
But you have to drive your thing, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I praise you. Lord, I'm going into your presence to worship today. I'm going to glory you in your majesty, God. But if you're peddling here listening to Katy Perry or Garth Brooks, Friends in Low Places, your worship is not going to have any fireworks because you can't go yonder to worship cold like a refrigerator and hope to bake a cake in the oven. you got to preheat. you got to preheat. Now, I don't know anything about cooking or anything. Starla gave me that example. And so, don't think I'm a chef. You have to bring some fire before you can get some fire. The third thing Abraham took to worship was a knife. And he carried the knife for the things that were not yet dead. Abraham went to worship with some living things that needed to be crucified. And he knew in his mind, Isaac, my son, my son who I love more than my own life, I cannot kill you now. But when I get in the presence of God. You see, friend, there are some things in your life that you're not going to be able to slay until you get in the presence of God. Not in a church service. Not listening to praise and worship music till you get in the presence of God. Why? Because you don't have the strength to kill it until you go yonder to worship. But I want you to know, friend, when you get in the presence of God, he will break struggles, he will break strongholds that have had you tied up for years. You've tried, and you know you can't fight them with your flesh. You can't fight them in your mind. You've tried it a thousand times, and you end up just screaming at the devil. Screaming at the devil is not going to do any good. You need to just start worshiping. And when you get in the presence of God, you can pull your knife on the devil, and you can take him out. Get in the presence. Get in the anointing, and let the Holy Spirit break yokes and tear down barriers. It's in the presence of God that you will kill that thing that will not die. Some of you here today that need to kill relationships. And they're relationships that only reinforce negativity. Your spirit is sick because you hang around weak people who are always telling you what you can't be, what you can't do, what you can't have. Go yonder to worship and get in the glory of God and let Him tell you what you can be, what you can do, what you can have. And carry your knife so you can kill every limitation and every carnal thing that has stopped you from becoming what God not intended for you to be, what God created you to be. There is a difference. So if you carry the wood, your testimony to those things that you know God did for you, You bring the fire, the glory, and the power, and the presence of the Spirit of God. You carry the knife for the things that are not yet dead. Then regardless of whether you dance or lay prostrate on the floor, 
regardless of whether you sing black gospel or southern gospel or contemporary gospel, if you will do it from your spirit, guess what? You will find yourself in the place called worship. You will find yourself in the very throne room of God. Have you been there? If you haven't, you can go. The presence of God is just over yonder. The throne room of God is just over yonder. You can go. Bow your heads with me, please. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry I ran Bear with me. Now I realize this has been a message for believers. But I know that you may be here and you may not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Or you may be a follower of Christ, but you know that you have things in your life that are not pleasing to Him. Before you can worship, you have to be a follower of Christ and you have to have your sins forgiven. And I want to give you that opportunity today. I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to plead. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm just going to ask, if you need forgiveness, if you need God to come into your life and forgive your sins, I'm just going to ask you, would you raise your hand as a testimony? Yes, yes. Just be bold about it. This is what we come for. Thank you. You can put your hands down if you raise them. Are there others? There is a journey that is waiting just for you that is amazing. And it all begins when we get our sins under the blood of Jesus. Anyone else? Stand with me if you would, please. Altar workers, elders, would you come?